From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Wilson! Wilson! clips to introduce the business of film i am simon rose and i am going to be talking to james cameron wilson i'm very envious james i understand certainly if what you said last week is to be believed that you will have been to the cinema oh simon could you find your way could you remember where it was (laughs) oh god yes oh it was so wonderful to be back and to be welcomed by such friendly faces and the manageress remembered the remembered my favorite seat when she clocked me in, oh, well. D four. So after all this time, oh, it was wonderful. You say met back. by friendly faces, but covered by masks, though presumably. Well, they are yes, but but I've been going there for so long, I do actually know who is behind the mask, and you can see the smile in their eyes. Oh, no, it's really really a lovely experience. So I've been cramming in lots of films. So we need to get going, really. Okay, right. And get cramming, then. okay. Um, those who wish me dead do you remember when after the first lockdown i went to see unhinged and almost suffered a panic attack in the cinema <laughs> i remember you talking about the russell crowe film uh, yeah yes indeed well for my first dose of cinematic spectacle after the latest lockdown i found myself in similar straits <laughs> those who wish me dead starts with two men played by nicholas holt and aidan gillen passing themselves off as workers from the gas board, strolling into a family home in Fort Lauderdale. And minutes later, after they've left, we see the whole house blown to smithereens. On the big screen, that is quite a sight. I've seen so many films on my television this year and have found myself more and more detached from the action on the small screen. There are six new films showing at my local multiplex this week, and the most cinematic of of the lot has to be Those Who Wish Me Dead. Besides the opening explosion, there are the spectacular vistas of Montana, albeit filmed in New Mexico, but who can tell, as well as shots of Angelina Jolie plunging through the skies on a parachute. Now, I, I have a problem with Angelina Jolie. She's become such an icon that seeing her in a film where she's not playing a fantastical being is akin to seeing Audrey Hepburn pop up in a Mike Lee film. It's a tug of war that her new vehicle has to combat as its writer-director Taylor Sheridan attempts to inject a strong dose of reality in what is essentially a starry and generic action thriller. However, I enjoy action thrillers, and this is both thrilling and action-packed. A lot of that I put down to the aforementioned Nicholas Holt and Aidan Gillen, who, while playing men of inexplicable amorality, never display a note of villainy. They are businesslike, matter-of-fact, and extremely professional at what they do. They have a mission to accomplish. And while they complain about the budget, that their assignment has been allocated, they are determined to see it through. We have come used to, we've got used to villains who have certain eccentric quirks, be it a tendency to snarl at the camera or or indulge in some mundane activity like Michael Shannon's 
addiction to that crunchy candy he mm. eats all the way through the shape of water or indeed the pastries favored by peter dinklage in i care a lot here these killers are just businessmen then there's the scenery and watching all those mountains on the big screen and their susceptibility to the ravages of fire it really is something else something you can't really experience at home on a tv screen however big mm. but Besides being an action thriller, Those Who Wish Me Dead is a lot more besides about people who sacrifice their lives for the greater good, the evil that men do, and how one carries on in the face of unimaginable loss. Angelina Jolie plays the world's most beautiful firefighter, a smoke jumper, and enjoys the casual camaraderie with her male colleagues. But her Hannah Faber is haunted by nightmares, when a year earlier she was unable to save three children and just watch them burn to death. She is now more eager than ever to save people's lives, a neat counterbalance to the M.O. of Holt and Gillen. There's also the story of Connor, played by the 13-year-old Australian actor Finn Little, who has witnessed something that has put his life at risk. As for Holt and Gillen, Anybody is disposable who comes across their path, usually innocent bystanders uh, offering help. And then we have the forest fires themselves. In light of the news footage we saw last year devastating large swathes of California, it makes those who wish me dead particularly pertinent. In fact, I was so moved by the film, Simon, that even in, in the evening I watched the Ron Howard documentary, Rebuilding Paradise, about the Californian town that oh, was yes, virtually yes. wiped off the map by fire in 2018. And that is the power of the big screen for you, because I was so involved in the subject. I should also like to mention the film's writer-director, Taylor Sheridan, who wrote the screenplays to Sicario and Hell or High Water, and then directed the violent atmospheric Wind River with Jeremy Renner. Oh, yeah, I like that. He really does have a terrific ear for dialogue and for the tenor of the rural American. There's a scene in a diner here that is pure Taylor Sheridan, who has become the past master of naughty, gritty Americana. He has also coaxed terrific performances out of this cast, notably the young Finn Little, as well as John Bernthal and Boots Sutherland as local sheriffs, and Medina Senghore as the former's pregnant wife, who brings enormous nobility to what normally would have been a throwaway part. In fact, the film is both a portrait of backwards America today, as well as being a highly efficient piece of violent escapism. And it is very violent, albeit never explicitly so, which brings me to my next film, Sniper, from the book of Saw. So if you're sitting comfortably, Simon. Mm. Uh, you won't be surprised that I've seen none of these films and don't imagine I ever will. Far too unpleasant for me, I think. Well, the, the horror genre has turned up many catchphrases from in space, no one can hear you scream to they are here. But the most chilling of all must be, I want to play a game. The last name is the utterance of the sadistic serial killer Jigsaw, an invisible, resourceful uh, man with an obvious PhD in physics, or at least mechanics. Jigsaw was supposedly killed off in Saw 3, but like other such ghoulish creations as Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, and Jason from Friday the 13th, it's hard to keep a box office attraction dead and buried. But there's the old standby. 
the copycat killer. Unlike the previous eight installments of the Saw franchise, Spiral is funny, at least briefly. The producer and star is Chris Rock, who is actually remarkably good in the film who plays a tough cop in the Philadelphia police force, who is about the only member of his team who hasn't been corrupted. Thus, he is distrusted by everybody else in his department and is none too pleased when a young rookie is forced on him during a routine investigation of the death of a homeless man in the subway. Chris Rock is Zeke Banks, and while he is deeply cynical and confrontational, he is also caring and smart as it turns out he identifies the dead man as a cop and as is in fact he's a friend of the late man's wife then a lime green box tied up in string is delivered to the police in which the dead cop's tongue is wrapped in tissue paper i should stop there as things get pretty sick but then that is the whole point of the saw franchise personally i have found the series to be virtually unwatchable but the latest, which also stars Samuel L. Jackson and Azik's new partner, Max Minghella, the son of the director, Anthony Minghella, is a more reputable outing, one would think. But fans of the franchise should not be disappointed, as the gore factor and the ingenuity of the serial killer is still centre stage. And it all left me feeling just as queasy. Even so, I have to acknowledge the inventiveness inventiveness of the new film along with the high production production values and dare i say the prosthetics and the high standard of acting for this sort of thing ultimately you can only judge any genre by how it is likely to appeal to its core demographic and i don't think saw fans will be disappointed but by that criteria spiral is a success and depending on its box office performance it will not be the last by a long shot. In fact, it is currently the number one attraction at the US box office. I will leave it there, Simon. <laughs> That's almost almost depressing, James. Um, okay, time for this. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. On Chair Radio, listening to the business of film with Simon Rose and James Cameron Wilson, who has finally been allowed back into a cinema. Well, not just one cinema, but, well, it could be the same cinema, of course, but you've been umpteen times. We've had two films already seen on the big screen, James. What I know. Uh, Well, I'm going to slip back to the small screen, if I may. Okay. I know there are still people addicted to Netflix, and this is, well, the last time Gary Oldman acted in a Joe Wright movie, it won him an Oscar. That was for Darkest Hour, in which he played Winston Churchill. In the new Netflix thriller, The Woman in the Window, he has considerably less time on screen and obviously had come to some kind of arrangement with the director to pump up the star power of what is virtually a one-woman show. Amy Adams is that woman, a child psychologist suffering from agoraphobia and who hasn't left her Manhattan brownstone in 10 months. She's also been in in therapy for 15 years with her therapist played by the actor playwright Tracy Letts, who actually wrote this adaptation of the top-selling novel by A.J. Finn. Joe Wright started his career with the award-laden Pride and Prejudice and Atonement, but stumbled after that until reaching a nadir with his ill-fated take on the Peter Pan myth, Pan. 
Then Darkest Hour restored his reputation somewhat, but I think more for the performance he got out of Oldman than for his direction. Here, Oldman actually gets second billing, but it is his presence rather than his screen time that hangs over the proceedings. A sort of modern reworking of Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Anna Fox, played by um, Amy Adams, is obviously a seriously damaged woman, although we don't know why, who washes down her array of medication with copious quantities of red wine and spends the day watching old movies, including Rear Window, to which she mouths the dialogue. She is in a suicidal frame of mind, but still retains a certain curiosity about others, which is apparently a promising sign, according to her therapist. She keeps a distance from her neighbours, although she is intrigued by the domestic dynamic of the Russell family when they move into the house across the street. Reluctantly, she lets the Russell's 15-year-old son, Ethan, into her house as he brings her on an offering of boxed lavender. And as she gets to know him, uh, this bond develops between the two of them. He seems a sensitive, if troubled, young man. There's also David, who occupies Anna's basement at the suggestion of her therapist, who feels that she shouldn't live in the huge house on her own. She is separated from her husband, Ed, played by Anthony Mackie, and has little direct contact with other people, and begins snooping on the Russells with the help of a telephoto lens. And then, as we all predicted, she sees something, let's just say untoward, and <laughs> rings the police. The question is, do we believe her? The police certainly don't. And Anna is beginning to suspect her own senses, although she's convinced that something is definitely awry, except she has no evidence. Only last week I was talking about the relativity of truth as depicted in Monster on Netflix, see it, but this particular setup has been well tweaked in such films as Rear Window and more recently in The Girl on the Train. Of course, as a viewer, we are intended to side with the protagonist, otherwise it would be a pretty empty exercise. Anna Fox may be unbalanced, but she is an intelligent woman. And it takes an actress of the calibre of Amy Adams to believe in both her stability and her vulnerability. And it is a balancing act that the actress pulls off with aplomb. And being entirely set in just one house, the film is given a considerable cinematic sweep, courtesy of Joe Wright's direction. His canny camera moves and the atmospheric lighting of Bruno Del Bonnell, who previously brought enormous visual panache to Amelie, Tim Burton's Dark Shadows, and indeed Joe Wright's Darkest Hour. This is a very sophisticated homage to Hitchcock, but and I was afraid of this. It eventually slips more into sub-Brian De Palma territory yeah. as the film nears its close. And we, when people start behaving irrationally, even the alcohol-fueled Anna Fox, I lost patience. There are some really cheap horror tropes here. And the film is initially set up to be a far more accomplished, rational piece. I wasn't bored, but I did feel disappointed and a tad short changed. Yes, of course, when I think of the title, Woman in the Window, I think of the Fritz Lang film from 1944 with Edward G. Robinson, um, which is a wonderful movie, from what I recall, though I haven't seen it for a long, long um, time. Perhaps I should watch I that instead. Oh, but I'd like you. to end on a, on a high note, if I may. <laughs> okay. And this Fine. is Sound of Metal. Oh, Few right. dramas have resonated with me of late as much as Darius Marder's film, one of the year's best, 
When I was at school, a boy slapped me across the ear with a sandal and burst my right eardrum. And I have been deaf in that ear ever since. So many of us take for granted what we have in this life, our sight, our sense of smell, our taste, even our sense of touch. One should treasure what we have. In Sound of Metal, Riz Ahmed plays Reuben Stone, a punk rock drummer who starts to lose his hearing at a disarming rate. His loss virtually comes out of nowhere. He and his personal and professional partner, the singer Lou, Olivia Cook, live on the road in an RV that serves as both their home and recording studio. And Darius Marder's film paints a convincing portrait of the hardships of this time of living. But at least Reuben and Lou have each other, a bond that has been cemented by her help with breaking his addiction to heroin. Since they've been together for years, he has been completely clean. The film is extraordinarily strong on detail. In the morning, we see Reuben go through his ritual of squats and push-ups, making coffee and smoothies, cleaning the points of his mixing desk and preparing a highly nutritious breakfast for the two of them. He is her physical rock. She, his emotional one. Incidentally, both Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook, of course, are English-born and both adopt faultless American accents while they travel from state to state with their two-man band, he on drums, she on vocals. Then during a gig, his hearing goes, and Nicholas Becker's ingenious BAFTA Oscar-winning sound design kicks into gear. So on the one hand, we have Riz Ahmed's astonishingly committed performance, a role for which he had to learn to play the drums and learn American Sign Language, streamline his physique, in the gym and put on an American accent. He doesn't ask the audience for our sympathy and he runs the emotional spectrum of tenderness towards Lou, anger, indignation, fear, frustration, hope, and eventually acceptance. It's a terrific turn and he is the first Muslim performer ever to be nominated for a Best Actor Oscar. He spent eight months training for the role and completely embedded himself in the part, both physically and emotionally. And there is one scene when he completely loses it in character and the set had to be shut down because of health and safety. Olivia Cook is excellent too, as is Paul Racy, a jobbing actor who, as a deaf counsellor, secured an Oscar nomination in the autumn of his career. I, I also have to say what a relief it is to encounter a film in which one isn't manipulated by a music score from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And I think of all the Oscar-nominated films, including Nomadland, this was my favourite in the Best Picture category. I don't. Did you ever get to see it, Simon? Um, I haven't seen it. I know. I'm, so, so the, the, where is it showing? I mean, I know it's on Amazon Prime, but is it also? It's also presumably going to be in cinemas now, is it? Well, it is in cinemas. It's at Cineworld. It's at the Odeons. It's not at the View. Uh, but you have to search it out, which I think was a real shame because I know the demographic of my local town, Stroud, and they would love films like No Melad, Minari, and Sound of Metal. But none are there to be seen. But I have looked it up. It is at various Cineworlds and it is at various Odeons okay. and presumably Picture House. Yes, and it's on Amazon Prime as, as well if you can't actually get to that. But I suppose, James, you would say it's always better to see these things in the cinema if you possibly can it and is after a shame. so much i mean all that publicity and oscar nominations you would think that the they'd be pumping it out 
Well, I was looking at the American Top 45 box office, and mm. those three titles, the most Oscar-winning titles, are nowhere in the American Box Office 45. Is that um, not sad? Well, you did discuss the fact that it was a, there were dif rather different films this year than, than most, but it is very sad indeed. But they're so good, and particularly Sound of Metal, which you can see on the big screen. And I also, I, I'd seen so much violence this week, but mm. I did actually see a, a charming, stylish, touching, masterful and very funny French reworking of Pygmalion this week on DVD called Populaire from 2012. Oh, Populaire is one of my favourite films. Oh, it's well, a wonderful it was movie. lovely to see it again Absolutely. and it cheered me up no end. The most exciting oh. film about typing I have ever <laughs> yes. seen. Yes, there's a typing typing competition. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. I think only the French could get away with this these days. But it is superb. Lovely, lovely. I'm so glad you liked Soundtrack it. of some old, old films. Uh, I confess I've seen it three or four times. Um, sadly, I'm just looking. It's not only the streaming services... Um, You've got to pay for it to watch it or, or watch it on DVD. But I recommend Popular unhesitatingly. So one of my favourite romantic comedies of the last year. But I, you know, I have to say, I think the French do romantic comedies much better than anybody else. Oh, um, indeed. They're just, they're just so good at it. And, and there are just so many of them. Though having said that, I can't think of it. I mean, Popular may be the last one I've noticed. And even that's about eight or nine years old now. Uh, 2012. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was so nice super. to sit it on, see it on the on my big screen without wearing a mask. Because when I was wearing my mask during uh, "Those Who Wish Me Dead," a man actually complained and went and got the staff from the cinema, who then came into the cinema, and I was drinking a cappuccino at the time, mm -hmm. and he complained because my mask was not on the entire time during the film. And you are allowed to imbibe. Yes while wearing a mask and watching a film. Yeah, I confess that when I went to see Tenet, I made my drink and popcorn last the entire movie. <laughs> well, when I and saw... I don't imagine I'm alone. Well, when, when I saw Spiral from the Book of Saw, I was the only person in the cinema, which was very sad. Yes, or maybe not, if you don't like the sound of it at all. Oh, but I'm so glad to hear you mention Populaire. That's oh, absolutely... it was blissful. I think I enjoyed it even more the second time than the first time. Oh, it's such a good film. And that sort of somehow so remind me, I don't know whether because it starts with the same letter, but it's reminded me of uh, Petiche as well. Um, which is, uh, is that Nozon film? Um, with I think it is Nozon. Yeah. which is uh, you know, very funny. Not quite as, yes, not quite as perhaps as romantic, but a simply wonderful film. Oh, there's nothing like a good French comedy. Um James, thank you very much indeed. So what have you got planned to see for next week, or are you going to keep it a secret? Well, there are still the same six. There don't seem to be any new films opening next week, so um, I really don't think I could face Mortal Kombat, <laughs> which is a reboot of the video game franchise about a high-stakes right. battle for the future of the universe. But I'm going to have to see something, because... You know, this is my bread and butter. Well, see if the Fritz Lang woman in the window is available somewhere on online. Um, okay. Mind, I haven't seen. I haven't seen it for many years. It may not hold up as well as I, I might have hoped that. It well, would. I will have to be seeing Peter Rabbit too. Oh, yes, of course. I'm sure you're looking forward to that, James. Thank you very much indeed, uh, James Cameron. We'll also be back with more business of film at the same time next week. You talking to me, Bond? James Bond.